not, we're keeping them. <laughs> not trying to be selfish or anything, but anyway. All right, Psalm 61. And um, uh, we've been going through, I've been preaching messages on Sunday evenings on the title or the series is, I've just called it The Issues of Life. And so thankful because God's Word deals with every area, every issue of life. And Proverbs tells us that we are to keep our heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And, and so we're kind of, we're taking it a little bit broader than that, but um, the last couple Sunday nights we've actually been looking at is the heart itself and issues of the heart. And so um, you may have noticed in the bulletin that tonight's issue of life is when your heart is overwhelmed. And um, we would be dishonest. I don't want to say lying, but I would, <laughs> we're being, we'd be dishonest if we said that our hearts were never overwhelmed. If we never faced anything that we didn't know how to handle, we didn't know what to do, and we and hopefully in those cases we go to the Lord. And um, so Psalm 61, I'd like to read the whole psalm. It's short. Uh, please follow along. And then we're going to use verse 2 basically as one as our kind of our main text and a kind of a springboard, if you will, to some other scriptures. But Psalm 61, as you see there, it's a psalm of David. And we read here, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing and will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. And before I pray, I just Notice again that the, the psalm, whenever, whatever David's writing, wherever he's pouring his heart out to God, almost always at, by, at the end of the psalm, he turns to praise. And he says, I'm going to cry to the Lord in those times, but I'm also going to praise the Lord. And specifically, praise God for his help. And we also see David's experience there in verse 3. Thou hast been a strong tower for me. I mean, a shelter for me, sorry, and a strong tower from the enemy. And so let's pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father and our God, we are thankful that you are a God who sees us, you hear us, and Father, thou knowest every step of our life. In fact, uh, the same psalmist David wrote that you, thou knowest every word in our tongue and every thought in our mind. And Lord, wherever we are, thou art there. And we're, So we pray tonight that you would, thou would help us as we look at just a few things, uh, uh, situations that may come into our lives and, and help us as we go through these scriptures. Father, I pray um, for the help of the Holy Spirit. We need him. We can't do anything without him. And I pray that he would be the one that would be working um, through the message tonight. And I want to just thank thee, Father, for thy help, for all of us, and, and as we have uh, stayed upon thee, and as we have drawn from thy strength, as we have uh, gained guidance from the scripture, we're thankful that it's, it's infallible, never failing, and that thy mercies are new every morning. 
great is thy faithfulness. So help us tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Psalms, and you know that, if you, that I love the book of Psalms, and, and I do. I, I think every, I, well, every, I know every day I do spend some time in the book of Psalms, and I wish I could remember who the pastor was that encouraged a bunch, a bunch of us men to read Psalms every day, and I follow that plan, and I've mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again. Um, the, the first day of the month, 1 through 5. The second day of the month, 6 through 10, and so on. And if you do that, you read the book of Psalms every month. And it's been a, it's, it's, it's been a wonderful, it's turned my life, it really has changed my life in a lot of ways um, because, for one thing, the book of Psalms teaches us probably more about God than perhaps any other single book of the Bible. It's a, it's a treasure of the attributes of God. Um, many things. I mean, it's, it, it's filled with praises to the Lord. And sometimes when I'm reading the book of Psalms, I'll read a verse and I'll say, Father, that's exactly what I wanted to say. That, that's exactly what's on my heart, praising the Lord. And, of course, it also contains prayers. And uh, another thing, and there's, there's many others, but one of the things that really blesses me and impresses me about the book of Psalms is that in it, in it many times we see the heart of, of David. We ought not to underestimate that heart because the Bible says, and I, as far as I know, it's the only person, the only man in the Bible that the Word of God says that he is a man after God's own heart. And so I understand, I mean, the mystery of it because I understand that the Holy Spirit of God breathed out these words. I understand that. And I know that. He did that. But I also understand it was that David often poured out his own heart in the Psalms always under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the great, great, great things about God's Word. And so, simply by virtue of the fact that David was king, he faced many conflicts. He faced enemies. He faced, and I use the words within and without, inside his own heart, inside his own kingdom, and of course, from the enemy outside. And so, probably, David faced conflicts every day. And so we're going to take a look at some things tonight. And, and so in Psalm 61, verse 2, David spoke of times, notice it says there, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed. Let's think about that, that clause tonight. When my heart is overwhelmed. I want you to notice um, that David didn't say, if my heart is overwhelmed. He said, when my heart is is overwhelmed. So there were times, and we know about them, we read about them, very, many different situations that David was in. And some of them, we could say this way, some of them were through no fault of his own. Like he did only, he did only good, and Saul tried to kill him for the good that he did, jealousy and all that. But there were also situations that were of David's own causing, the, the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba, and, and, and so forth, and things like that. But in, our, in, our, in the psalm tonight, um, you know, he's talking more about things that were beyond his control, not his fault, not caused by him, and, and so forth. So let's, um, um, let's dig into this a little bit. The word translated overwhelmed here literally means to be mantled. It means to be covered from head to toe, thus to be faint, to be feeble, to ebb away. So the idea along with that then is the idea of being worn away or overwhelmed with burdens and things that came upon him. 
um, in a, we could almost, in a, in a, more, a modern way, we could almost say the word has the idea of feeling like you're in a straitjacket. You're just hemmed. You're tied. You're just bound. And the things that came upon him. So like David, there are things in our lives that can overwhelm us too. When, that ha- when this happens, not if, when, we should, like David, cry out to the Lord, who is the rock that is higher than I. He's, a, he's our rock. He's our fortress. And so tonight, I'd like to just share, I'm not, I don't know if we'll get through these all tonight, but four things, four things that can overwhelm us, at least four that I find in Scripture, that can overwhelm the people of God and, and cause us to, you know, hopefully to go to God um, for his help. So, number one, <clears throat> oppression from the enemy. Verse 1 of Psalm 61, David says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Where did I get oppression from the enemy out of those verses? It doesn't say anything about enemy. Well, actually it does. Because David said, from the end of the earth. And that term, from the end of the earth, implies David's not in Jerusalem. He's not in his palace. He's not in the temple, tabernacle. He's somewhere far away, and there's only really two reasons why David ever journeyed away from Jerusalem. All right? Number one was when he was leading Israel into battle, or number two, when he's fleeing from somebody. And we, and we know that in David's life, there were two major times when he fled from his place. One was when he was fleeing from Saul, which that lasted a number of years. And then secondly was when he fled from his son Absalom. Remember that? When Absalom tried to take the kingdom and he stole the hearts of the men and you know, went behind his father's back and did all, you know, sowed all that discord and everything. And so David decided it was better for him to, to get out of there and flee. And uh, a couple of commentators and, and, uh, that I've read on, the, on Psalms uh, put forth that this was probably when he was fleeing from Absalom and all the things that happen along with that. But anyway, for, you know, so, uh, and, and we looked at it a couple, a few weeks ago, another time when David longed to be, Psalm 42, he longed to be back in the tabernacle and going before God, you know, in a public way, in worship. And so similar situation here. So oppression from the enemy. Um, <clears throat> when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The Lord and his strength and stability is what David sought, what he was looking for during those times. All right, now let's take a look. Remember, let's think about for a moment that we also have enemies that oppress us all the time. And I'll take a look. I want to take a look at four enemies. And again, I'm not, we may get through all these things tonight. We may not. That's all right. So number one, we need power from God against our enemy, the flesh. Right? Um, Galatians chapter 5. Let's take a look there. Um, Galatians chapter 5. And we, real, we need to realize anyway, if we don't already, that our own sin nature, our flesh, our old nature, is our enemy. Right? Um, while you're turning to Galatians 5, I'll remind you of Romans where it says, The carnal mind... The fleshly mind, the worldly mind, is what? Is enmity toward God. 
for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So as a Christian, if something is the enemy of God, then it's the enemy of us. All right? Our flesh is our enemy. <laughs> all right, well, let's take a look at Galatians um, chapter number 5 and see what it says here. Familiar verse of scripture, I'm sure. But verse 16, Galatians 5, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, why should we be concerned about that? Why should we want to walk in the spirit rather than the flesh? Verse 17 tells us why. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. Now, the, and you know that the word lust in the Bible is a word that, that expresses strong desire. Right? Think, just think about that. The flesh lusteth against the spirit. So our old nature, our flesh has strong desires against the Spirit. So our flesh does not want us to follow the Spirit of God. Therefore, of course, it doesn't want us to follow the Word of God. Right? But on the other hand, and this is, this is a great thing, it says, and the Spirit against the flesh. The Holy Spirit of God strongly moves against the flesh. And we, ought to, we need to be thankful for that. Now it says this, these are contrary the one to the other. The flesh spirit. There is no common ground, there is no agreement between the flesh and the spirit. Never will be. Never can be. We talked about that, I believe, uh, recently a message that um, we, our, our old nature is never going to get any better. Um, it's never going to improve. Um, our old nature is not going to get saved. Our old nature is not going to be regenerated. It's just our old nature. Now, so, so in this life, the only way to have victory is to walk in the Spirit. Because the Bible says, if we walk in the Spirit, we won't be fulfilling. We won't be doing the things the flesh wants us to do. And praise the Lord for that. Because, it's this, this, of course, the Spirit of God always leads us to do the things that are pleasing to the Lord and that are in submission to God's word. But notice there's the contrariness. And then verse 17 ends, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now there's, there's a lot there, um, but in a, just in a, a simple illustration or simple explanation is this. When our flesh wants to go its own way, the Spirit of God opposes that and tries to draw us away from that and get us to do the things that please God. That's great. That's a good thing. Wonderful thing. But on the other hand, when, we, when, we, when, our, when our spirit, our, nat- our new nature in Christ, when it wants to follow the Holy Spirit and, and obey God, the flesh holds us back. And I, I'll tell you, I know, brother, I know you, you, the same thing. You've, you've had this happen before. You know, some of our greatest attacks can even can happen in the study. <laughs> you know, we know God. We need there's things we need to do, and here it is. You know, it's getting late in the week, and Sunday's coming. You know, it doesn't happen all, a lot. But so when we want to serve God, there's something holding us back, trying to hold us back. Now we can overcome by the power of God. Here is walking in the Spirit. So just keep that in mind. At the end of the chapter, um, or the at verse 24. Notice what it says here. And they that are Christ, in other words, those who belong to him, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. We put it to death. Now Jesus in Luke said, 
take up the cross, deny, the, deny, the, deny itself, take up the cross daily. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't see in the scripture that this crucifying the flesh is a once for all thing because the flesh doesn't stay dead. The flesh, the, the flesh just continues, doesn't give up. You know, that's a tough thing. It doesn't give up. And it won't give up until the day we die or the day that we, when the rapture comes, what's going to happen to the flesh? Left behind. It's, gonna, it's not going to be changed. It's not going to go with us to heaven. Praise the Lord for that. But it's going to be like those, those rocket ships. You know, when they've used up one of the stages, <laughs> it just falls away. Well, that's the only thing that's ever going to change our situation for eternity. We're going to leave the flesh behind. And praise the Lord for that. And so we need to constantly crucify the flesh, put it to death, put it down, you know, don't give in. And then verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, in other words, if our eternal life is in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So the first part, living in the, if we live in the Spirit, that's our position in Christ. Walking in the Spirit, that's our practice, all right, in the power of the Lord. So we have our enemy, the flesh, all right? We need power from God against our enemy, the devil. Let's turn to 1 John. There's several verses we can look at, but I'd like, I like 1 John chapter 2. And this, I love this in chapter 2, and we, I won't take time, we won't take time to go through this in much detail, but I, I really, I look at 1 John chapter 2 here, and we see that there are, it talks about stages of spiritual growth. It talks about children, Young men, fathers. And it's not, it's, it can be, I mean, this could be true of chronological age, but it's more, more true of spiritual age. Level of spiritual maturity. And I, this is so, I love this. I love these descriptions. This is the Word of God teaching us things. And so it's almost like these are the, these are like the major characteristics of these three. This is what stands out in a Christian in these three stages of growth. Look at verse 12. I write unto you, little children, that means little children, you know, babes in Christ, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. That's, that's, the, that's the most precious thing for a new Christian. Um, I'm saved now. My sins are forgiven. And you see new Christians, I mean, sometimes they're, you know, their feet barely touch the ground because they're so excited because of what Christ has done for them, right? Um, and, and that's all they know <laughs> for, for a while. And, you know, it's tragic if they stay that way, but it's precious when, for new Christians. You just, and they're so excited, and, and, you know, I read this in the Bible the other day, and I, I prayed the other day, and, and it's like everything is new, and, and I love new Christians because they remind me of what it was like. You know, when we first got saved. And we share that excitement. Well, then it goes on to say this, verse 13. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. And at the end of uh, verse 14, beginning of verse 14. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. And so the, the outstanding characteristic of mature Christians is their grounding, their knowledge. They know God. And you know, it's great. And uh, I, mean, I remember when I was a young guy and a young pastor, there were some older men that I, just would, I would just love to sit. I'd just sit there and say, hey, you know, teach me. Just share the wisdom that God has given you. And they, and they would just, they would, it would just come out of them 
And I just thought, boy, these men, they really know God. They've walked with God, and they have that wisdom of years, and, and they've got that experience. So that's, what, so that's what John even writes about these men. And then go to about the middle of verse 13. I write unto you, young men, because ye are strong. Or, I'm sorry, I write unto you, men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. And then down in verse 14, again, the middle of verse, I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So he's talking about the, you know, the young men, the, 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 they're more mature than, you know, than the babes in Christ. They haven't quite gained the experience of the, older, of the older mature Christians. And yet what characterizes them? They're strong, right? They're strong in the Lord and, and they're, they're full of pep, you know, they're you know, full of zip, you know, for the things of God. But I want you to notice that that all comes down to the, where it says in verse 14 regarding the young men here specifically, but it's true of the babes in Christ, and it's true of the fathers. You, you, uh, the word of God abideth in you. It's the word of God. First Peter two two. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. So we 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 overcome our enemy, the devil, by walking in the word of God, by abiding in the word of God, and having the word of God abide in us. And then, there, of course, there are scriptures that we can look look to that deal. For example, Ephesians chapter six talks about putting on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, and uh, you know. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, James 4, 7. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. So overcoming is through, through the scriptures. And then, in 1 John 5, we need God's power against the world. We need to be able to stand against the world. Um, yes, especially... I was just, this is really brought to my attention. I mean, it's brought to my attention, I think, every day from things that are going on in the world. And I'm talking about the world of our own country, the world of our own society, and the things that are going on. Um, I was, actually, our granddaughter had a soccer game yesterday, so I went to it, and while I was there, another Christian lady who knows us, she said, hey, Pastor, can you come over? We really need you to pray with us. And, and so she introduced me to this couple, um, Christian couple. They had an eight, they have an 18-year-old son who just he's in the military, and they're being threatened in the military now. Uh, President Biden has issued on how he did this. He's, I guess he's introduced a bill. That's what these people said. It's passed the House, going to the Senate that mandates every military person must have a vaccination, and if they don't, they're going to put them in solitary confinement. And I, I know there's differences of opinion right here about the vaccinations, but some people just don't want to get them, and I, and I understand that. But anyway, so the, the society is closing in. Not just that, but so many other things. And you know that. They're imposing. They're trying to impose, you know, the, the abortion. They're trying to impose homosexuality. They're trying to bring all these things into our society, into our lives, and the pressure is mounting. It's going to get worse unless God intervenes. Um, because you know the president we have has no, no concern for God, no concern for his word, no concern for Christianity. He hates it. I think he hates every bit of it. And he's made that pretty clear. Um, either himself or 
who I don't know, I probably shouldn't say this, but whoever's actually pulling the strings, I just don't think he's doing much of himself. But anyway, that's that's just my opinion. Um, when he talks, well, never mind. Um, so, but somebody, somebody is pushing this agenda against everything that we believe in, everything we stand for. Um, and so, but we have to overcome. Um, the Bible never tells God's people that it's okay for us to just hide somewhere and, and just not be involved and not live our life. You know, God doesn't want us to do that. And, and you also know that every, every generation, um, God's people have been pressured. They have been opposed and oppressed and, and so on. We haven't seen that much here, but, but we ought to be grieved at what they're trying to, to force. And, and uh, so now, that, now that our children are grown and now that we have grandchildren, I'm really concerned for them. I'm terribly concerned. And, you know, not, and I used to think, I used to be concerned because they might not live the life we do. They might not have the things we have. And if I thought, you know, that doesn't mean a thing. What I'm really concerned about is that they won't have the strength to stand. That's, that's my big concern right now. I really don't, I mean, I hope they have a good life, but that, that, that's not really that important. What's important is will they stand for the Lord? Of course, some of our grandkids are not even old enough to be saved yet, but, but you understand what I mean. And, and the Bible says we, we need to stand. We need to overcome. So in 1 John chapter 5, let's take a look here. Um, verse 4 for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. That's talking about the, the believer, the new nature, all those things. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, overcome the world. We, we sing them in, we could have sung that hymn tonight. Um, faith is the victory. Glorious victory that overcomes the world. All right, now, um, so against the world, we, we need God's power against the world. And again, it comes by faith, being strong in faith. And then if we go to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, um, we have, we need God's power against evil men. That kind of goes along with what we're saying in a way. But I'm, here I'm talking about those that may personally, individually, oppose us and even bring persecution. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is obviously near the end of his life. He's going, he knows he's going to be executed. He talks about that earlier in chapter 4, but then he gives kind of a brief recap of his ministry. In verse 16 he says, at my first answer, that is my first defense, no man stood with me. But all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. You know, I think about this sometimes. If real persecution comes, who's going to stand with us? Who's going to stand with, with me as a pastor? Are you going to be the ones standing with me? Are you going to be the ones hiding? Are you going to be the ones throwing the stones? <laughs> I, I wonder. I wonder, not, not, not so much about you folks, but I... I think about, again, our family. Where are they going to stand? Are they going to be like when Jesus was arrested? Are they going to be running away? Are they going to be like Judas and, and line up with the enemy? And, you know, these things, you wonder about this. And so that's why we need to pray. That's why we, we, need, to, we need to just put it all in God's hands. 
by the grace of God we're going to stand no matter what. But here's Sir Paul, and Paul had some faithful companions, but he said that my, when my first defense, the time when I first stood up and defended my faith and ministry, uh, no one stood with me. But all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now the lion in the Bible often refers to the devil in this particular scripture probably refers to the Roman government maybe Nero himself but the ones that were trying to silence him and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And, and you've probably read, I've read stories about people that were in prison, prisoners of war during the war, or Christians who were in prison. And one of the things that the enemy tried to do was isolate them so they could have no fellowship and no encouragement. And it was interesting, ingenious, how some of the, the troops and that, how they found ways to communicate. And then I want to just back up a little bit in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, <clears throat> verse 9, he, he wants Timothy to come. Uh, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. In other words, as quickly as you can, get here. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed to Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Tim, uh, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark, bring him with thee. For he is profitable to me for the ministry, and so on. And he talks about others he sent here and there, and that sort of thing. And he talks about Alexander, the coppersmith. Verse 14, did me much evil. You know, that was there in Ephesus, when, you know, they did all, they made the shrines to Diana and all those things, and, you know, that sort of thing. All right. Um, we'll do one more. How's that? Number two. Now we're going to another. What is, it, what is something else that can overwhelm the Christian? And I have down, number two, I wrote down the burden of sin. The burden of sin. Um, well, can we go to passages of, in Psalms about David and how his sin burned him? But let's go to one. Let's go to Psalm 38. And I look around the room, I think everybody tonight has professed faith in Christ. I have no reason to doubt that anybody here is, is not saved. I didn't say that right. Because if I doubt you're not saved forget it. <laughs> I mean, what I'm saying is, I'm pretty sure everybody is safe, right? Um, so, but, so as believers, though, um, and I've, I've experienced this in my own life, and I'm sure you have too. Um, I'll be just sailing along, <laughs> going through the day. All of a sudden, something my dear said 20 years ago comes to my mind. Well, how did that get there? How, you know, and I think, oh man, you know, and I just remember, you know, we, when we confess our sins, he's faithful. Right? But sin can burden us down. Sin can overwhelm us. I'm talking, I'm talking in any, any personal way. Okay. Um, Psalm 38, verse 3. Well, let's read verse 1. Notice what it says in thir Psalm 38. Notice the heading. A Psalm of David to bring to remembrance. All right? Bring to remembrance. Not his sins, <laughs> but what God did about him. All right? O Lord, he starts off, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Let me ask you a question. You don't need to answer out loud. Have you ever feared God's chastening? Have you ever thought you're in, you're in danger? 
that you're gonna that God might need to chasten you? I have. David was too. The man after God's own heart. David said, Chasten me, neither chasten me. Oh Lord, oh Lord. You know, in the Bible, whenever you see O oh Lord, there's intensity there. There's sincerity, right? And so he says, Rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. Again, David, no doubt, recalling some of the things that he had done. There is no soundness in my flesh, and he's talking there in his body, because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. Let me just read you another verse here about that. In Psalm 32, David said this, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. But do you think that was the last time? David ever thought about what he did with Bathsheba? You think he just said, well, it's over, it's done with, I'll never think about it again? I doubt it. Because we think about past sins. The devil tries to bring up past sins. I'm thinking maybe our own flesh brings up past sins because it's against us, it's against God. And so David is talking about it again in Psalm 38. And he says this, verse 4, Here's the verse I was really wanting us to key on. For mine iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. Now this is a man of God. This is a man after God's own heart who was burdened down by his sin. Now, I remember one time we were swimming at Lake Cary and I knew somebody there and I said, I'm going to use this illustration. We were there swimming my dad, mom, and some of my brothers, sisters, and, and this fellow that my stepdad used to work with years ago, he showed up at the, at the lake. And so he comes into the water, and, he, and, he, and my dad says, hey, how you doing? And he put his hand out to shake my dad's hand. Well, he didn't realize the water was over his head, because he's a little bit short, quite a bit shorter. He sunk. <laughs> so, of course, my dad grabbed him and pulled him up. And that's the idea. When David said, my sins are gone over my head, it means I'm in, or, I mean, it's deeper. It's too deep. It's too deep. I can't, you know, I can't get out of it. I can't swim. And so a heavy burden. My wounds stink, he says. Verse 5. And are corrupt. Because of my foolishness, I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. And, and so on and so on he goes. Um, so, it, as believers, we still can sin. And we do sin. Okay? And I'm not, I'm not going to say that David was wrong here. I'm going to, because I'm going to say this. When we sin, it should bother us greatly. Right? And I, I talk to people sometimes, and maybe and that they'll come to me and, and they'll say, Pastor, I've been having trouble. I'm just kind of, I'm doubting my salvation. You know what the first question I ask is this. I'll say, well, brother, sister, when you realize you've sinned, how does that make you feel? Oh, lower than a snake. It just makes me low. I feel like the most worthless. I said, 
you're saved. <laughs> That's a good indication that you are saved. Because if you weren't saved, it wouldn't bother you. Not, not like that. Not like David, okay? So, I, because I don't want to just say, oh, oh, well, you know, don't take it, don't, don't take it too badly. And No, I don't want to do that. Because when we sin, it ought to bother us immensely. All right? Now, where do I see? Let's see. So let's have three things about a scriptural, yeah, a scriptural attitude towards sin. Now, um, and I'm, I'm talking about our sin. The first two things I'm going to mention to you deal with our own personal sin. All right? Psalm 97 verse 10 Psalm 97 and verse 10 um, notice what it says very very simple very simple straightforward statement from the word of God Psalm 97 10 simply says this ye that love the Lord hate evil he preserves the souls of his saints he delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked and you can say, oh yeah, I hate evil. I hate the president doing evil. No, that's not what it's saying. I mean, that's part of it. But what Psalm is really saying, we need to personally hate evil. Not embrace it. Not love it. He's talking about our evil. <laughs> or, the, you know, the tendency we have to sin. We're supposed to hate that. We're not supposed to love it. We're not supposed to embrace it. We're not supposed to like it. But you know what? Our old nature loves it. Our old nature is like, you know, and, and I had a pastor friend, a friend of mine, and we did not mean this irreverently at all, but we would take that song, you know the song, Love Lifted Me? And thinking of it as an unbeliever, I was sinking deep in sin, because <laughs> we loved it before we were saved. Now when we're not, after we're saved, we're not supposed to love it. We're supposed to hate it. That's one of the things the world, why the world is so dangerous, because the world paints sin not as just something that's okay, something that's to be desired, something that's to be normal, something that we need in order to live in this society. You know, um, I remember back in the day when they used to, when beer commercials, well, I guess they're still there, I guess, but, you know, and there was one particular beer, and the commercial was, go for the gusto. Right? And look, you know, go out, look out for number one. All those kinds of things. And you know this, the media, the, the TV, the movies, everything, they, they, they project, they project evil as being good. Okay? How many heroes, how many people in our society are, that are lifted up as heroes and examples, how many of them are godly? When was the last time that you saw the media hold up a missionary or a pastor as an example? Have you noticed that we, you know, that any time a pastor is portrayed, they're always like a lunatic? You know, they're crazy. They got a few screws loose and stuff like that. But who do they promote? They promote adulterers and adulteresses and drinkers, and they're the heroes. You know, why am I saying that? Because if we allow that to affect us. Sin will lose its awfulness. Someone put it this way, we'll lose our sensitivity towards sin. That's exactly the plan. That's exactly the devil's trick. And Isaiah says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put sweet for bitter, bitter for sweet, light for darkness, darkness for light. 
And that's what that's what sin does, right? And it tries to do that. And so first, so therefore, our first scriptural response is that we need to hate sin, okay? And even Paul, you know, he said, "Oh wretched man that I am." And Romans chapter that's Romans seven. Remember where Paul he put all basically said this: what I want to do, I don't. What I hate, I find myself doing. Now, if somebody like Paul had that struggle in his life, what does that say about you and I? You and me, we have that struggle. So we need to hate it, first of all. Oh, that's, then the second thing is we need to confess and forsake it. I mean, this is, these are kind of elementary principles. You know this, but we, we really need to be reminded. I know I need to be reminded. Um, Proverbs 28. Um, wonderful passage of Scripture. Uh, Proverbs chapter 28. Again, this is talking about personal, personal sin. Proverbs 28 and verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. All right? He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. David tried to cover his sins. And when his first attempt failed, he went to plan B, which was to have Bathsheba's husband killed. So he tried to cover it, but it couldn't be, it couldn't be covered. All right? He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Right? And why is that? Well, because God knows us. You know, that precious Psalm 103, you know, as far as east from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. But, you know, later on that psalm, it says, He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. So God doesn't deal with us, the psalmist said, after our sins. Like, he's merciful. He's gracious. But one thing he, he commands us to do is confess and forsake. I heard one preacher say this, if we cover our sins, God uncovers them. But if we uncover them, God covers them. And you know the, that's, and you know the, the, the famous passage, let's go to 1 John chapter 1, all right? The, the famous passage of scripture. Um, again, the devil and our, our flesh, whatever, likes to remind us of our sins, telling us that there's no hope, we're going to just keep doing it over and over again. Um, all those kind of things can come into our mind, those thoughts. But um, we do have to deal. The Bible says we must. We can't cover our sins. We must confess and forsake them. Um, 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. All right? And so that's the idea. I love that word there, because as believers, we need cleansing. We need cleansing of daily sin. And I, I did, by the way, the idea of that word cleanseth is that it continually cleanseth. Every time we sin, if we confess, he cleanses. Verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. All right? We mentioned, I think it was last Sunday evening, that there are those who preach that you could become sinless in this life. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're deceiving ourselves. If we confess our sins. By the way, confess means to say, a, to, to say after or say the same thing. In other words, it means agree with God. Confess our sin. You know, not that it's somebody else's fault or not that I was, it was a mistake. Or, no, God, I sinned. I know this is wrong. I, I, I sinned. I shouldn't have done it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so um, we do have we do sin, right? Now there's a third thing, real quickly about sin, our scriptural attitude. And that is this: number one, we need to hate sin. We need to confess and forsake sin. Then number three, the Bible also says we need to have compassion toward other sinners. Right? Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. One passage there, one passage in Galatians, and then we are done. Um, and I know this, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying this about myself as much as anybody else. It's the, the sins of others are always seem to be more obvious than our own. Right? And that's why Jesus said, talked about those who they are going to take a moat, they're going to take a speck out of somebody else's eye, and a beam or a log is in our eye. That's just the way it is. That's our nature. And so in uh, 2 Corinthians, um, we're going to pick this up, and you, you can go back and read chapter 1 Corinthians 5 and then 2 Corinthians chapter 2 when you get a chance. If, you, if, if You're probably familiar with the, the background here, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul commanded the church to put out the man who was living in sin. He was committing fornication with his father's wife, probably his stepmother. And so Paul said, you need, to, you need to put out that wicked person. You need to get him out of the church. Church discipline, in other words. They did that. In chapter 2 Corinthians, Paul now goes back to them and says, now here's the next step. Right? Let's see. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. Let's talk about the sinning brother. So that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up, or in other words, overwhelmed with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. Now for Paul to say that, we can draw some pretty certain conclusions. All right, Number one, they took the action. Paul said to take. They removed him. Number two, he repented of his sin. And now he says, take him back. Take him back in the church, show your love, so that he's not swallowed up, overwhelmed of, um, with overmuch sorrow. So yes, when there's sin in the church, it needs to be dealt with. When the, if the person repents and demonstrates repentance, he or she needs to be brought back into the church. All right? Now let's go to Galatians chapter 6. And then this is it, then we're done. All right? Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Very, very clearly, very clear language here. Galatians 6, a very similar, it's a similar situation to second first and second Corinthians somebody's somebody has sinned now this is not this is the first Corinthians 5 there's a specific example Galatians here there isn't but as a principle here it says brethren if a man be overtaken in a fault that is that means snared in a fault he's he's been tempted he's fallen he's been snared he's sinned in other words he's committed some specific sin Ye which are spiritual, tear, tear him apart. No, that's not what it says. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. 
concerning thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The word restore there is to, to mend. Remember when Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw four men. First he saw, you know, he saw Peter and Andrew casting a net into the sea for their fishers. Then he saw James and John mending their nets. They had holes in them. This is the same word right here. Mend, restore. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, in other words, humility, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I, was in, I think we were in Canada, we were somewhere, and I'm going to close with this illustration. A pastor had met with his deacons because there was a sin, and there was a man who, was lit, who was, had, had blatantly sinned. And he said, I've talked to the man, myself, Matthew 18. Now the second thing is I need to take somebody else with me. He said, I want to figure out which one of you are you all willing to go? And they said, yeah, we're willing to go. He said, well, i got to pick one of you. And here's my question. Would you ever do what he did? First one. Oh, no, never. No, 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 no. I'd never do such a terrible, oh, awful, bad, terrible, terrible. Second one, same thing. Third one, same thing. By the time we got to the fourth deacon, the fourth deacon had bowed his head. Thought he was uncomfortable. He said, Start to cry. I said, Pastor, I'm afraid that if I was in that same situation, I'd do the same thing. Pastor said, you're the one that I want you to take with me. Spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. All right? Um, so anyway, we're going to stop right there. Um, the, the other two we're going to look at next Sunday night, Lord willing. Um, things that can overwhelm us is serving God in a godless world. And then the, third, the fourth one is life's sorrows, right? Things that can overwhelm us. And uh, anyway, we're going to stop right there for tonight. And so I hope it's been an encouragement. And I uh, hope God will help us to, to go on. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we can spend in the word of God tonight. And just help us, Lord. We know you love us. And I hope that I was able to convey that throughout the message of that, Father, you care for us, love us deeply. That's why you have put these safeguards and these instructions in the word of God. Thank you so much for the, the strength and the grace and the peace and the help that you give to thy people. Oh, God, help us to avail ourselves often of what is offered to us. And we pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, we're going to sing a closing hymn, 218. I'll just make a note to myself here. Um, all right, let's take our hymn books. Um, 218, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. Take them to the cross, right? And let's, all right, let's stand, please. 216, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. We'll sing all three verses. <clears throat>
Jesus is very near. Cast your care on Jesus today. Leave your worry and fear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Calvary, Calvary, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Troubled soul, your Savior can see every heartache and tear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Calvary, Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Amen. Appreciate everybody coming tonight. Brother Skeens and, and Brother Mark, real encouragement. Always good to see you. And So can I get you to lead us in a word of closing prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the evening to hear of David's concern with the time that when his heart is overwhelmed. And truly, Lord, we understand that. We feel that ourselves. But I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And I pray that, Father, that we would ever so know that, that our victory is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to know that as he gives to us, we're to be steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we're thankful for that great truth and the encouragement that you give us day by day by day. And thank you, Father, for the testimony of this church and for Pastor Myers and for his family. And and uh, I thank you for the church there at Acre Lake as well as the other churches where the gospel is preached and the, and the gospel is lived in the life of others as well as uh, the testimony of a changed life and I thank you Father uh, for the great opportunities that we have but Lord may that we learn to walk with you day by day and understand that uh, we do face those trials, we do face those temptations and yet, we're to keep our eyes focused, we're to be faithful, and we're to be focused. So Lord, keep us, and uh, 
and protect us, Father, as we're thankful that uh, you pray for us, you intercede for us, thankful for the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us, and all that we might be found faithful before you. Lord, thank you for this evening. Dismiss us with thy blessing. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.